0: Hello Captives and Captive friends and welcome to another special GCP live episode being recorded in front of a live audience here in Luxembourg.
1: <laughs> thank you Malcolm.
0: Good to, have the, good to have the fanatics in the front row <laughs> as usual. Uh, firstly I'd just like to squeeze in a thank you to Captive Review and to Ekiroa for allowing me to, to host this podcast very much on their turf. This is an event that remains very, very special to me, having formerly worked on it, and it is always a real pleasure to be back with so many great uh, captive professionals and captive personalities, I think uh, it's fair to say as well, uh, from across the European captive market and and beyond. So for those not familiar with the concept of this podcast, we will be spending the next... I was talking to the back of the microphone the whole time, that sounds better. <laughs> Uh, For those not familiar with the concept, we're gonna have a kind of 30 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. uh, I know we've got drinks we want to get to. Some fairly light, hopefully fun and informative captive chats. And we are asking the, the big question, which is what's next for captives. Then we'll try and end with some captive trivia in a form of a game of uh, higher or lower with captive domicile numbers. And Lorraine should be the expert on, on, on that topic. So we'll see how how that plays out. So our guests for this episode are our token captive owner, <laughs> uh, Marcus Reichel, <laughs> head of insurance Thank at, you <laughs> at a German multinational canal. Lorraine Stack, MD and in international advisory and sales leader at Marsh Captive Solutions. David Power, CEO at InsureWave. And Emma Sansom, currently Head of captive Services UK at Zurich Insurance Company. Lorraine, let's start with you. We're at the end of day one at ECF. Not sure if we're going to release this episode tomorrow or Monday or, or whenever, but we're at the end of day one at the moment on Wednesday. What has been the highlights or, or key themes kind of coming out of the conference for you so far?
1: Well, Richard, to me, the first thing was the buzz, the buzz about the place. Um, so I was here last year um, and the event. It was great to be here, but it was a bit, bit more subdued. Yeah. So and we were all a bit hesitant about, uh, you know, hugging and stuff. So it's just fantastic. It's a great buzz about the place. Great to see everyone, old faces and new faces. So that's, you know, that's on on the personal level. Then when it comes to the content, delighted to see, you know, new topics, resilience, you know, um, sustainability, ESG. And of course, you know, close to my heart uh, here in Europe, proportionality for captives. Is there any? (laughs) <laughs> well, it depends on who you speak to, but it was heartening to see I was at the um the regulatory session this morning, and you know there was some talk of it um but also it was good to see that um Anna Thras was kind of hanging you know from Iopa she was staying on you know to throughout the whole day she made a point of saying she was going to be staying on to listen to other other sessions and you know listen to captive topics so it's encouraging
0: well as we know captors are getting bigger and bigger and they're, they're increasingly big part of the of the insurance market and the commercial insurance market so the regulator really should be in my opinion kind of paying attention but it's good to hear those signs marcus this is now actually a conference on home turf for you because you've since uh, established in the last couple of years a, a captive in luxembourg for canal you already had a vermont captive what is your experience of the regulatory and, and captive environment and regime been so far positive
2: uh Yeah. I mean... (laughs) Enough. As much positive as it can be, right? So, um, I still think the more captives are going to be formed and implemented in Europe, the better the environment will be. Because still, you feel like a stranger when you talk to um, a captive uh, regulatory environment and say, hey, we want to do something in Germany, which is difficult. So it's much easier here in Luxembourg if you compare, it's much easier in Dublin. Um, And that's why we, again, do something in Luxembourg. I mean, I did it with my previous employer, and now we do it again. And it was, from the first idea to the formal approval, it was a very easy process, supported by a captive management company, obviously. But yes, it it was good, and Wine and food is good here as well. So, <laughs> The it's wine? A good place. Yeah, the wine is good. Yeah. Uh, it's a good home turf here yeah, for me. Imported wine. Uh, imported wine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, uh, David, your experience with working with some pretty large uh, sophisticated captives out in Shorewave, and ECF is certainly home to that demographic, hopefully, as you've seen today. From the conversations you've been having with um, captive owners, what, what seems kind of top of mind or, or top of their priority list?
3: Yeah, it, it probably breaks into... Into two categories, but they it's probably aligned with the maturity of the captive as well. I think we've we've had a few conversations with with uh, individuals who are either assessing or new into into the captive space, and top of their mind is really how are they going to incubate and manage wh- what they see as uninsurable risk at the moment, mm. and trying to f- get their heads around that, um, trying to understand a way that it can be simulated sensibly with technology, they don't want it to be a huge labor overhead. Um, But a lot of them have gone through that board process of getting the support for a captive and uh, that's definitely top of mind for them. The bigger ones, it's the same topic from day one, which is how do we kill the admin and how do we create more data um, in a way that we're not having to chase spreadsheets, not having to exchange spreadsheets, not having to Follow each other around for the latest best version of information, and then how do we make that work with global programs um, so I mean we 've a lot of experience with that, so we can we can have those conversations but it 's for us, and admittedly it was uh, that 's probably a dozen conversations we 've had over the couple of days, but they kind of fell into those two categories
0: great, and we 'll talk about maybe some of the solutions to that uh, and, and kind of looking ahead in the second half of this so Emma, as a front team partner. Uh, Zurich, at Zurich, you see a lot of captive business coming across your desk. How are you seeing the activity and, and types of inquiries for uh, support change through all of the turbulence of this kind of challenging market cycle and the other obviously macro trends that are happening in, around the world?
4: Yes, yeah, so it's, it's obviously been a, a very active time for us. There's been a lot of interest. From the sorts of companies that may not necessarily have considered captives in the past so um, we've seen especially a growth in protected cells coming to us to look for um, fronting obviously um, that's that's changed over the years in terms of the the types of business that they're asking us to front for so we would have seen a lot of property and casualty type risks in the past and as uh, David was alluding to you know there are some uninsurable risks out there so that's That's kind of driving the conversation that we're seeing at the moment. They're looking at, and you know, the the types of customer that we're seeing, as I said, looking to form captives, but also those customers that have very well established and mature captives, looking to um, restructure, reinsurances and, and find um, efficiencies in terms of diversity and, and that sort of thing. So, we have seen a tendency to be looking more at the, the back end and reinsurance from a treaty perspective, so a cross class, yep. multi year, multi line type um, uh, structure. The other thing, obviously, in terms of the, the emerging risks, ESG is obviously a very big topic. It's, it's been covered quite a lot here, so um, that's really encouraging to see. Um, and that's that's manifesting in conversations around cyber in particular, which you know is obviously a huge risk out there there's 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 a lot of ransomware that's it's getting quite quite meaty so customers are coming to us for for capacity excess of the the captive more than they would have done um, and I guess the the challenge for captives there is that they they need to be able to find the capital to be able to manage those risks so there is some concern i think from the regulators in that space pi again is another type of insurance that is um, on the uh, construction pi in particular is is on the rise um, there's just no cover in the market there um, and again we we are having conversations around how they can take that into their captives some captives being formed just for PI, yeah. um, so you know, that, I think that, that speaks volumes. And then the final thing really is around MGAs and third-party risks. So we're seeing a lot of MGAs actually look at the captive market at the moment and see that there's a lot of opportunity there and that they want to start taking risks. So that's, that's something that we're seeing more of and I think we will consin- uh, continue to see it grow.
0: Yeah, on that third-party risk topic, you know, it's one we talk about with Marshall all the time, it's is kind of the MGA and third-party risks, and I was talking to Ellen Charnley um, just the other night on an episode coming up on the podcast, and she went into detail on that topic. Lorraine, the topic of this session, however, is what next for captives? But, of course, looking back for a second, the theme of the past three years has just been this huge boom mm-hmm. In captive utilisation, I know there's some great statistics from Marsh out there on, on what that boom looks like from your perspective, mm-hmm. both in terms of new formations, but also just more risk and, and premium going into existing captives. How do you think the act, that activity has kind of changed the profile, the value, the resin d'etre of captives, existing captives in the large account space? Are we seeing they're, some of them are already monsters in terms of size, yes. and there's more of them, and yeah. they're even bigger monsters.
1: <laughs> well put, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> um, <clears throat> look, for context, just to give you some sort of background on, on on the growth, it's been phenomenal over the last few years. In fact, we formed 200 captives over, over the space of two years. And the premium written about um, amongst our captives around the world went from 60 billion to 68 billion in the same period. So, you know, a lot of new formations. Some of those, Richard, now were smaller uh, entities, right? Um, and, And that's great because we're seeing the captive value proposition appealing to companies who maybe wouldn't have looked at a captive in the past. So that's great. But in the large account space, yes, captives are getting bigger. They're getting bigger and they're more visible in our clients' organizations. You know, they're they're playing across a number of different lines of insurance. They're becoming more visible. And it also means that the risk manager is becoming more visible in the organization as well so we uh, you know and so growing in sophistication and vi- as it visibility in among stakeholders that we might not have come across before uh, hr treasury you know um finance um definitely whereas we as captive managers are seeing definitely more visibility in that kind of, kind of space
0: so david as um, as the captives grow as, as lorraine outlined there and, and risk managers are becoming more visible and they're overseen. And executing more complex risk financing structures how how do you see them trying to kind of modernize that insurance management that insurance procurement process you touched upon about the spreadsheets and sometimes it does feel like this industry is in 1955 Mm -hmm. um how do you see them kind of modernizing to ensure they're spending more time on the actual strategic thinking time or talking to the market rather than that administrative Mm -hmm. time
3: The appetite's definitely growing for it, but the reality is they can only work with the market as it presents itself. And a little bit of a plug for InsureWave. I mean, part of what we accepted when we built the technology at the outset was we're going to build it for insurance managers, insurance buyers, but we have to build it in a way that it works for the brokers and it works for the insurers because Mm -hmm. it it is a pretty uh, tightly knit group mm. so in reality and I think you know to the, to the heading and you know picking up on uh, Lorraine's point as well I completely agree that the the profile of risk management is is requiring a competency that isn't you know somebody who is a follower but you know it, it, it has the importance inside an organization now that it needs to have the tooling for that for that role and and also if we want it to have career attractiveness, you can't be hiring people that are, you know, essentially going to be checking and deduping spreadsheets, which yeah. you know we hear quite a bit, even for people that we hire from the sector. So you know, if we if we look to that trend, then it, it has to change. It actually doesn't have an option. But that said, the technology is uh, is slowly coming into the sector. The, you know, specialty lines insurance isn't one that has had traditional. Players in, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's as in technology players, but it is one that's changing. And you know we, you know, insurewave doesn't go out to win market share. We go out to try and change ways of working, and we hope there's many other technology providers that come into the market, but point themselves at the buyers because yeah. if you can solve the problem there at the input, then you have you have a shot. But you know it hasn't really been solved from that perspective before.
0: No, it's definitely I definitely think that the great thing about InsureWave was the fact that it kind of came out as a collaboration with Maersk and was EY at the time, and they built it for the customer, not for uh, an InsureTech trying to sell those loads of, loads of licenses to brokers or, or insurers. I think it was good that um, it came about that way. And it's interesting the point you make about the talent because we want to be attracting the best talent and we don't want them to be just duping, de-duping uh, spreadsheets and, <laughs> and, and doing that kind of thing. Marcus, you're obviously interacting with the market all the time, where would you like to see kind of greater innovation or embrace of technology to enhance the, the risk financing you know, but the capabilities that you hopefully have and, and smooth uh, the overall uh, process?
2: <laughs> well, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I love to hear what David just said, um, get away from Excel spreadsheets, but mm. in reality, What we do is we send everything via Excel to insurers. And the insurers send it via Excel to the Mm co-insurers. And um, the more people work on your Excel spreadsheet, you get crap out of it at the end of the day. I mean, that's still reality. I mean, don't get me (laughs) wrong. Um, We do value collections. We have it in a tool, uh, but we cannot get it connected to our fronting insurer. So we download Excel spreadsheets and send it over. We have a tool do premium allocation, and then for them to issue the policies, we send them Excel spreadsheets. That's basically where it is. And I would love when we, we talk need, about... We need to talk. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you sent me a link in this request. Yes, I, I mean, we are, we are on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, when I hear that we have, uh, at March, 200 new captives formed in the last two years. I mean, they all have the same issues. I'm not getting it. Why not captive owners, brokers, and insurers get together? and in interfaces to make this interaction because this is easy interaction and you know um, when you have an Excel spreadsheet one is a formula there one there and you end up always with a mess afterwards and then you can make it much smoother and then also attractive for people because I don't like three people in my team working on Excel <coughs> spreadsheet from October to the end January uh, just, work, just, just right? one
3: thing I want to add if y- you don't mind on, on that one which is we talked about cyber risk we've got excel sheets exchanging <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of the asset definitions <laughs> of the most valuable crown jewels of every corporate organization being sent to a broker to one market to a coal market to a refusing market yep. to 20 others nobody knows who gets them nobody knows where they go and essentially there's compromising information in all of th- in all of those sheets
2: yeah because you have to send them to the insurer right mm-hmm. i mean they want to have our sales i mean typically for a family-owned company we are not publishing anything, no. but insurers want to have them, right? And we don't know where they end up. I'm fully with you because yes, you have NDAs, whatever, but and that's reality. So, what's next? Better technology, make it easier, please. <laughs> well, I,
4: was, I was didn't want to mention GDPR, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I think um, it's a fair comment. I mean, we we have quite strict guidelines around how we're treating data, so you know, we we enter into NDAs and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you know, there are challenges around Excel spreadsheets sure. and you know, APIs and, and um, direct links between insurers and their customers is, is the way to go. Yep. Um, it's, and it saves time, you know, and, and the propensity for error is reduced as well. So it's a win-win.
0: So I, I can't even organise a stag deal on a spreadsheet. So I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how you kind of put together a multi, multi-million multi pounds multinational multi multi-line <laughs> insurance programme. I feel like I'd want to go and sit in a dark room. I'm Marcus. sure you certainly <laughs>
3: can't insure <you laughs> that stag deal either. <laughs> not, no, not the stag deal I've been on. But, um,
0: so Emma, uh, let's move on from technology and talk about, um, I think, another big topic that's been on the agenda today, uh, which has been um, sustainability and ESG and the role captives have in that area. You were recently on a panel with Lorraine uh, at AirMix Island event in Dublin in October uh, discussing this very issue and regarding the energy transition challenges specifically are you seeing captives play a role in kind of covering new energy and, and renewable projects and as this does seem like it's an area that the commercial market wants to deploy capacity so it doesn't seem like it's a classic area where there's no more capacity out yeah. there but maybe captives need more or corporates need more.
4: I, th- I think that's that's fair. Um, speaking to the energy underwriters, you know, to to get their view on on where they see the market. I mean, there is definitely appetite within the insurance carriers to be taking risk on and to to be supporting in in that way. I think there's there's a lot of competition in various pockets of this this market. So from that perspective, um, where you can get cheap rates and good coverage, you know, the, the captive may have less impact. So. It, it's got to be I don't think there's a the one size fits all solution you know, the captive can be um, can can take risk that is not insurable in the market um it can fill gaps in coverage um but also having skin in the game in some of these uh, structures is is quite beneficial from a from a carrier perspective because you know there's that inherent in interest and and risk management um, responsibility so i mean the incubation of risk is is obviously a key element to captors being part of this uh, transition, but they're not going to be able to take all of that risk on. So it's got to be uh, you know, a joint effort, uh, a joint solution, and um, you know, one size is not going to fit all, as I said. So really it's about engagement with the insurers around what they can and can't do um, early on so that you can actually craft those solutions that, that are going to be beneficial for the customer in terms of the coverage that they actually need and also the capacity that's available in the market.
0: Lorraine, is there anything you want to add? I mean, this is a topic that you've done a lot of work on and you've spoken on. Yeah,
1: well, I've been I was just sitting here (laughs) nodding away as Emma was speaking. Yeah, I completely agree with everything Emma has said. Yeah, we're absolutely seeing captives participate um, in the renewable, renewable space. We've seen some um, in on the we've uh, some feasibility studies across my deck for um, desk on uh, news uh, new captives. And then we've seen some of our larger captives in the energy space moving into that and using their captives then to to pick pick up some of this risk the reality is that you know it's a new area and insurance is not known necessarily for innovation yes we've heard that (laughs) but but they have to innovate right because we're all moving towards we we all you know the transition will need to happen and so captives and insurers, we, we, we all exist in the same ecosystem and so one balances against the other and so as insurers are unable or unwilling to provide cover then you know, it'll, it'll come to captives and, and I would say captives are not the answer but they're part of the solution. Yeah,
4: yeah. One of the, the challenges that the captives are going to see as well is that from a contractual perspective a lot of these, um, these uh, projects are being financed by lenders that are now wanting to see more the capacity provided by rated companies so actually you know from the captive perspective it's it's they may have appetite to take the risk on but the importance of having a fronting carrier there to to put the paper up is is going to be more important i think going forward as well
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and i think that the issue the topic is huge as i said there's been a couple of sessions on it uh today and there's all different kinds of angles to it we've only We've probably not even scratched the surface on that. So loads of good stuff out there and we've done loads of ESG uh, content on the podcast as well. But I'm conscious of time and I wanna just fit in a quick bit of Captive trivia for you. Luckily you're working together on this. We're gonna play a game of higher or lower with Captive domicile numbers. We did this at the Seeker Conference in March and Sandy from the State of Vermont is in the audience and she and her team got 100% correct, I believe. Uh, They got six out of six. The Guernsey team, and Malcolm is in the front row uh, here. The Guern- I was let down by my uh, The Guernsey team last month got two, uh, got two correct answers before uh, before an incorrect one. Um, so uh, basically, it's higher or lower. Um, you're working together. I think you should confer. And if you can nominate someone to maybe give your final answer, uh, that will be useful. We will be using CAPTA Reviews World domicile Update from last year. So we're looking at the 2020 numbers. 2020 year end numbers, but I'll just say to you, I don't think between then and now, the, the, the order of size of domiciles hasn't changed. So the numbers are a little bit different from now, but in terms of like, if they're bigger or smaller than each other, it's about the same. We've got a few little nifty jingles. Let's see if it works. A correct answer would give you one of those. A bad answer would give you uh, one of those. So do consult and discuss before giving me a final answer. It should start off fairly easy. It will start off fairly easy. <laughs> and then it will get harder, I hope. Um, As we are in Luxembourg, I will start by giving you the number of captives domiciled here in Luxembourg at the end of 2020. I can tell you that at the end of 2020, Luxembourg had 199 active captives. So the first question is, do you think the number of captives in Switzerland at the end of 2020 was higher or lower than Luxembourg. They're all, look, they're all looking at uh, Lorraine here. So what is, Emma, are you going to, uh, Lorraine?
1: That would, that would be lower. So
0: you think Switzerland had fewer.
1: Fewer captives, captives. than Guernsey.
0: So Luxem, but Luxembourg.
1: Excuse Luxembourg. me, then, then yeah, then <laughs> Luxembourg. It's the same answer. But actually, <laughs> it is the same answer. It's the same answer, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. 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 So yeah, Luxembourg had, Apologies. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Luxembourg had 199 same captives. same answer. Switzerland had 43, so it was indeed okay. fewer. Yeah. So, next one. So, Switzerland, 43 captives at the end of 2020. Did Ireland, close to two of our panelists' hearts, Mm -hmm. have a higher or lower number? Yeah,
1: we're good with higher. Yeah, higher. Higher, we agree. agree.
0: They've already matched the Guernsey. That (laughs) was (laughs) easy. Okay, so it It does get a bit harder now. So, Ireland was on 67 at the end of uh, 2020. Singapore, was Singapore did Singapore have more or fewer, higher or lower captives oh. than Dublin? Dublin was sixty-seven. What was Singapore on at the end of twenty twenty?
1: Uh, can we have some audience participation? Yeah, you're there? welcome to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. So, oh, yeah. This doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't trust him. Yeah. Why yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: There was quite a few okay. people giving you indications there. Will we
1: go no, higher? The yeah. There's a guy doing do the higher, higher. higher. Yeah. I'm not. Higher? I'm not you know
0: 67 in Ireland. I'll give you a countdown
1: <sighs> Let's go. Will we go higher? Are we all agree? Yeah, higher. You just higher. want to use all higher. the jingle search, right? Yeah. Higher? Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: No. Oh, yes. Higher is correct
0: 81, 81 captives in uh, Singapore it was close, At the yeah, end yeah. of uh, 2020 Stuart Herbert would have been very upset If he yeah. got that <laughs> in Okay so you've beaten Guernsey Can you match with uh, Sandy and her team From Seeker in March So the, for- the fourth one here is Missouri Did the state of M- And this is actually the one that caught out Guernsey last time Is the state of Missouri mm-hmm. Higher or lower than 81 captives At the end of
1: 2020 Oh No. It is low. It's lower.
0: It's, it's lower. lower. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Four. Four out of four. Okay. So, 74 captives in Missouri at the end of 2020. Isle of Man. Did the Isle of Man have higher or lower?
1: Higher. Yeah. Higher. Yeah.
0: Whizzing through these. Five out of five. Okay. Oh, wow. This is for the final. This is for the, 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 the clean sweep. There's no more after this, so you okay. can get 100% of this one. Yeah. <laughs> Just a few of those ones. Um, <laughs> so it was ninety-six captives in the Isle of Man at the end of twenty twenty. Did Tennessee have a higher or lower number of captives than ninety-six?
1: Um, I would say <laughs>
0: There's some, there's some people in the audience I've got, uh, yeah, gesticulating. Okay, okay. They're all yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: okay, okay. okay, higher.
0: Higher, higher? for, for six out of six hundred percent.
1: There we go, oh, 100. Yeah,
3: yeah. Hey. thank hundred.
0: 196, there you go, 196 captives in Tennessee, actually a lot more than, hundred more, it's good maths, wow. hundred mm-hmm. more than the Isle of Man yeah. in 2020. But I'll let you get what's left of the drinks or get to your dinner. Uh, so please, let give a round of applause to our four panellists, Lorraine Sack, Emma Sandson, David Power, and Marcus Reichel. And uh, take care and see you next time, captives.
3: Cool. cool.